Hey, I'm Johanna Wagstaff. And hi there, I'm Rohit Joseph. And we're asking for 10 minutes of your day to go through the 10 things that the UN recommends we can all do when it comes to climate change. Please don't leave. No. And also the things (laughs) aren't new. We are just wired to not do them. We promise you to help you figure out your brains and you and your people can make better choices to combat climate change. 10 Minutes to Save the Planet is available now on CBC Listen and everywhere you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. On a Friday, it's Debbie Friday. All right, let me explain. Debbie Friday has made one of the most talked about albums of the year, but she had to go on a bit of a journey to make it. She'll tell you about sneaking out of her house when she was a kid to go to raves and clubs in Montreal all night, how that opened her mind and changed her life, but how she had to leave all that behind and spend time at home, sober, in order to make the best music she could. That's coming up on Q. I'm Tom Power. You're listening to Q. I'll be honest with you, uh, through our inbox, and please keep it coming, Q at cbc.ca, We get a lot of emails and we get a lot of songs in our inbox and I love that and keep sending them to to, to us because sometimes what happens is we hear a song on the show and we listen to it and we think to ourselves, oh my God, this needs to get on the radio. And that's what happened with Debbie Friday. This was the song. Baby, baby, the tears they fall from your eyes when the sun goes down. I think it was the that that got it. Anyway, it's it's a beautiful song. It's called "So Hard to Tell" from Debbie Friday's debut album "Good Luck." So Debbie Friday uh, moved to Canada from Nigeria when she was a kid. Grew up in and around Montreal. She'll tell you the story about how she ended up sort of rebelling and getting into DJing before she moved to Vancouver and then Toronto. Her debut album, Good Luck, came out in March and it kind of blew up. It got shortlisted for the Polaris Music Prize, which is the award given out to the best Canadian album of the year. And that's going to be announced September 19th at the Polaris Music Gala. But we thought it was a good time to revisit our conversation with Debbie Friday just as her album was starting to take off. What happens when you're a kid and all of a sudden you enter a door to a very adult world? How do you escape a scene that's bad for you when it's sort of the foundation of your art? And what happens when the music you make is associated with drinking and drugs, but you yourself are sober? Here's my conversation with Debbie Friday. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm not too bad. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Um, so I, I want to give people an introduction to you, and, and it'll be an introduction to a lot of our audience. So um, I was reading an interview with you, and it said something like you, you led something like of a nomadic life in and around Montreal, and that combined with like immigrating to Canada at a young age led, led to this sense of rootlessness was the word I saw. Yeah. T- talk to me. What does that mean? Yeah. When I say rootlessness, I guess I mean in the sense of even though I would consider myself like a Montrealer and Montreal is my hometown, I also just don't really feel like I have a a home that's tied to a certain place. Like there's all these places that I've lived that have really like shaped me and shaped who I am as a person. And they're all my home in a little way. And when I go places and visit places, those places also become my home and people are part of my home. Like I don't feel rooted in um, just like one context or like one specific geographical location. And I think 
part of that is, you know, like I said, growing up, we moved around a lot, like so much. It was always... How much? I went to a different elementary school for my entire elementary school time. The like one, every year? Yeah, every single year. And we lived in a different house, like every single year almost. Like, I don't really know why. Yeah, like, why, I, why? 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 They... You got to ask my parents. Yeah, I don't really let's know get, Let's why. get them in. Yeah. Let's get them in. <laughs> um, but, but you did. And, yeah. And so what's the, what's the impact of that? I don't know. I feel like it's made me really flexible in a lot of ways. And it's also made me really adaptable. Like, I feel like I could survive anywhere, especially after, you know, growing up in Montreal for the majority of it. So it's like we moved around a bunch. I'd say things kind of settled down around high school and we stayed in Montreal in just one place. I went to one high school. And from there, though, it just made me like really adaptable. Like I feel like you could drop me in any city and I would be able to survive. I'd be able to figure it out some way, somehow. Was there much music in the house growing up? Yeah, lots. Gospel music, though. Like what? Yeah, just like, well, my dad's favorite artist is King Sonny Ade. Yeah. He's this Nigerian singer. Yeah. <laughs> were also fans of like Fela Kuti yeah. and just a lot of also like gospel music so like think western Christian like progressive rock like that kind of stuff really yeah, yeah a lot of that did you like it some of it yeah for sure I did it's got mm, how do I say it's just got this like emotive factor it's got like an emotionality about it that I think is what connects to people a lot and why a lot of people yeah. like it so I like that aspect and the theatricality of it like I grew up um, my parents are very Christian and I grew up in a very like Christian household yeah. and so we were always going to things like revivals and stuff like that and these events they're so theatrical you know there's singing they're shouting people are screaming people are falling down rolling around like it's just it's a whole production was it okay when the music you started making, you're smiling at me, yeah. <laughs> you don't have to answer it. Was it okay when the music you started making wasn't uh, sacred music? Yeah, it was okay in the sense of like, I think for my family, it's like, well, what are they going to do really? Like, <laughs> I, you know, yeah. I've never, I've always been very rebellious, even when I was younger. So I think by the time the music came around, they were just like, okay, you know, yeah, all right. At least she's doing something with her life, you know? Well, what's the story then? It's like, you sort of immerse yourself in the DJ and club culture yeah. of Montreal, right? Can you tell me about that? Yeah. It's a very mysterious world to me. I'm always really? very interested in it. You have never been clubbing in Montreal? Uh, no, because I, I, I grew up and I toured for a long time sort of playing folk music. Yeah. So like fiddle and accordion music. Nice, and yeah. that was the sort of world that I lived in, like big kind of parties of that kind of music whenever I would like travel to Quebec and like, you know, play these like jams and everything until like five or six in the morning. And then I always knew there was this other scene happening that I've always wanted to sort of be a part, not to be a part of, but I like to visit. Mm. But now I get sleepy at like 1130. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So tell me, tell me a little bit about what that was like for you. Um, so... In Montreal, it's like I kind of I started clubbing actually pretty early. I'm going to say this. My family's going to watch this. But I started clubbing when I was like 15 or something. Yeah. There used to be this way that you could um, 
fix your health card. So it would say that you were older than you were. And that's what I did. That was my fake ID. I love how you described it as fixing it. Yeah, you by fix the way. it. Yeah, yeah. You fi- yeah it's, it's wrong. It's broken. You yeah, got to fix it. Exactly. Okay, so you'd, you'd fix your ID. What was yeah. the, f- can you tell me the first club you went to? Do you remember that? Oh, man. Do you remember the first time you went? The first time I went clubbing, uh, I was in high school, just finishing high school, um, about to go to Sejep. I don't remember the name of the first club, but there was like a it was like a bar club and there was a mechanical bull. It's actually like a mainstay, but the name is like it's escaping me right now. But I remember distinctly. That's like the first memory I have. And then from there, I left Montreal um, for university. I went to Ottawa and I did school there for four years. And I was like, I went wild in Ottawa. I was clubbing. I was doing all sorts of stuff. And what I would do is that I would on the weekends, I would take the Greyhound to Montreal, go out, party with my friends, and then go back to Ottawa on Monday and go to class. Oh <laughs> like, yeah. what, what did you love about it? About clubbing? I just love, well, I love music, first of all. So if there was good music, like I would just be there. And then I started meeting people. So there's also the sense of community. You know, you meet people you have common interests with, you get along with them, you make friends, and you start going out to more things. And then I think also just the catharsis of it, you know, it's like an escape but it's a, a embodied escape. It's like you can you can dance everything out. You know, you can just be there, and you get to move through your body in a way that I don't think you get to in ordinary life. Help me understand that better. So it's like you, when you were going to these clubs, like if you were kind of feeling anything, if you were kind of going through anything, you could kind of lose yourself in Pretty the much. in the dance music. Yeah, and all the time, every time, if I was like upset, whatever, it was like, all right, let's go out. Let's go out. Like that was my remedy for things. When did you, when, why did you stop? Uh, that is, okay. I can answer that in like many different ways. Whatever way you want to. Yeah. So you did stop. Yes, I did. I, well now I'm like, uh, I'm not in my club queen era anymore, but I, I go out, but I go out sober now and stuff. But basically in, I think it was like around uh, 2017, like I started DJing and stuff and I did that for a very short period of time. And I had this experience where I was on tour in Europe. It was my first time in Europe, first time traveling by myself like that. And I was there for a month and it was just such a transformative experience. Like I saw things I'd never seen before, communities of artists coming together and just the way that music could bring people together but also the fact that people can make a career out of it. Like I met so many artists and it really inspired me. And then at the same time, I was having this time in my life where I don't know how to explain it really other than like something from outside of me. Just all of these structures in my life were totally disintegrating. Like I didn't have a job, didn't have a place to live. Like I just was a hot mess. And so it dawned on me then it was like, well, I have to get my shit together. Like I have to get myself together. Like I can't continue on this path because it wasn't just the clubbing and, and raving and all of that. It was also, you know, a lot of substance abuse and my mental health was terrible. Yeah. And so I just, I don't know, like I had a, a light bulb moment when it feels like that all that stuff was escaping a little bit. Like it feels like as much as there might be a release in losing your, like losing yourself in a club and dancing all yeah. night, 
it's also a good way to escape some Definitely, stuff, you know? yeah. One of the best ways, because you're having fun while you're doing it as well. And you're with other people who are doing similar things, you know. And so you, you kind of found yourself escaping into that world and also yeah. escaping into like substances and drug, yeah. drugs and booze and stuff like that. And, and you, one day were like, I gotta, I gotta stop. Yeah. I just quit cold Turkey, everything. Like I went sober, I stopped DJing and I quit going out. And then it was also around that time that I left Montreal. Um, and I moved to, ended up moving to Vancouver. There was like one stop along the way where Um, I was in Calgary and I lived in my mom's basement for nine months. And I always say that time was like I was being like born because I just I didn't leave the basement. Like I barely went outside. I barely even talked to my family. Like I didn't meet. I barely met a single soul while I was there. But it was during that time that I learned how to produce music. And I made my first EP. I made Bitch Punk. Stay up. Stay up. Put it out right as I moved to Vancouver, and everything changed for me. Yeah. Is the sobriety good? Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. Like, now I'm sober in the sense of, like, there's no drugs, no smoking, um, and I'll have, like, one drink a month. And I'm like, oh, that's too much. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I hear yeah. it really can clarify it, like, especially oh, if you're an artist. Sure. Like, it can really motivate you for and sure. clarify you. I think I'm just, like, the type of person that needs that. Like, the clearer I am, the better I think I'm able to express myself and to connect yeah. with what I want to connect with. Yeah. And friends of mine have told me that the, it's boring for a little while, but then like the highs get higher than ever before. For sure. Yeah. You experience emotions differently. Like I've, I'm always an emotional person, but now that I'm sober, it's like I experience them almost more fully in this way. Cause there's yeah. nothing to, there's no barrier between yourself and your emotions anymore. We'll be right back. Think of your favorite one-hit wonder. Or that overpriced toy your parents would never let you have. Or that TV show that no one else remembers because it was canceled way too soon. Now what if we could fix it? I'm Francesca Ramsey. And I'm DeLon Grant. And after 20 years of friendship, we are now hosting a new nostalgia podcast called Let Me Fix It. Each episode, we'll dig into our favorite celebrities, shows, and brands of yesteryear, and then imagine what it would take to repackage them for relevance today. Think of our show as an intervention, but with way less stakes. So subscribe to Let Me Fix It wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Tell me about getting signed to Sub Pop. So Sub Pop, for people who don't know, sort of a legendary label. Um, They they signed Nirvana. Yes. One baby to another says I'm lucky to meet you. How how does that happen? Um, A miracle. I don't know. (laughs) 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 Uh, It was just, so I had finished the record and... we were kind of like shopping it around to different labels and talking to different people. And then we started talking to Sub Pop and they've always been supporters of my music, um, them and clipping. And it's just like, they've 
always really been super supportive, super encouraging. And so we started talking to them and I just felt that it was right. Like I felt like this is it. This is what I want to do. I feel like this is the right move for me. And they were so supportive of me also like maintaining creative control, which is something that's really important yeah. for me. It's like I don't just do all these things to do them. I do them because I want to and I feel like I need to, you know, I want to be able to say that whatever I put out is mine and it's coming from me. Because it doesn't really sound like anything else. I'm not surprised about that. So yeah. they, so they, and we'll talk about that in a second, but they were into it. They were like, okay. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. They were really excited and I felt really excited and it just went together. Because it's an interesting sell, this record. Like I was talking to you a little bit about mm. this before. Like it's, it's so many different things. Like there are, and I, I sort of hate putting genres on things, but I'll do my best. Like there are, moments where you can listen to it and go like, oh, this is sort of industrial. There are moments on it where you sort of like, it feels like hip hop. There are moments that it feels like punk. There are like the song we played so hard to tell in the beginning is like a pop song. Yeah. That's like a, a beautiful, just a old fashioned <laughs> pop song. I guess what I'm curious about is like, is there any underlining philosophy to all this music or is there, or, or is it just sort of an experiment in different genres or whatever you're feeling? I think I always say, I always describe the music I make as hybrid music. And that is the thing that holds everything together is a sense of hybridity. And when I say that, I'm really like referring to just the way that in modern context now and in modern times, like, the idea of genre yeah. almost isn't even applicable to anything because we all grew up on the internet. Yeah. And because of that, we have access to essentially what is like an archive of all of like human thought, like everything, you know? And so you can pull from all of these places that you wouldn't have been able to before. And what happens is that everything starts, you start to see the connections between everything. Like, oh, this sounds like this because this sounded like that. And then, and, and, and everything just becomes a hybrid of itself. And so that's how I would describe I mean, that's such a beautiful way to think about music. And what a, what a free way to be able mm -hmm. to be a musician for the first time in kind of history. Mm -hmm. You don't have to for be sure. hemmed into like a thing. Yeah, it's a beautiful time right now. It really, it really is. You know, I think I think about that all the time. I have, a, I have another question sort of about your creative impulse here. So you have a podcast about astrology. Yeah. Um, you have a short film that accompanies this record. Mm -hmm. You, part of your MFA uh, work at Simon Fraser University was around NFTs, is that right? Uh, I made an audio play that I turned into an NFT, yeah. Right, another one of those. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm so tired of audio plays about I NFTs. So oh, come on, yeah. we could get an original idea. <laughs> but is there like an under, <laughs> is there an underlying creative impulse to all this mm. work? I think it's just pure expression. Like, I want to express myself as honestly and as purely as I can. And part of that is, like, following those creative impulses. Because not everything is going to remain, you know? Like, for example, like, I haven't made another NFT in a really long time. But I'm glad that I did that, you know, and I experimented and I tried it out. I think that's really important when it comes to being a creative person and just expressing yourself as an artist. Is there like a lesson there? Like when you, when you look back, because it's your, your, your story is not a linear one. No. It's like, there's a story where things were kind of going one way and then there's like a, a big stop. 
And there's like nine months in your mom's basement. There's, yeah. there's sobriety. There's learning. And it, it sounds to me like you feel like a very different person right now. I do. Definitely. Is there a, a lesson there? Mm. Lesson or just life, really. Like, it's just life. Like, the way I see it, it's like I I half believe in this idea of uh, fate and destiny and that there's, like, certain things that you are supposed to do in your life. You know, there's certain paths you're supposed to take, but then you also have this freedom to choose them or not. And it all depends on you. It's like, what do you want to choose? Who do you want to be? Who do you want to become, really? And so I think with each of these stages of my life, it was really about me making that choice of like, all right, what path do I want to take right now? Sometimes you take the self-destructive path, you know, because there's things you need to learn down that that path. And then other times you're going to take the, you know, the harder constructive path, but then you learn how to produce music, you know? I haven't heard a record like this, I think, before in Canada. I think it's so great. Thank you. Just a lot of really different things on it. And I have to, like, when I first heard the record, I was like, I'm not sure, man. I don't, you know, I don't know, I don't know what this is. <laughs> and then I just sort of just gave myself to it. And I, I, I really love it. Thanks for coming in and talking Thank to me a little you. bit about Thank it. You. Um, I think things are going to kind of blow up for you in a really big way. I hope so. <laughs> but that's, that presents its own kind of set of challenges, though. I mean, is there something you can do to keep yourself grounded as all this happens? Mm, my friends and my family, really, yeah. always. Like, that's always what I go back to. Like, I'm actually pretty, like, private and... Mm, how do I say interior, like outside of performing life and stuff. Like I spend a lot of time at home and I like to be alone. And yeah. I think that's what keeps me centered. Yeah, me too. Yeah. People don't expect that from people no. like you and me, do they? Yeah. They think because we like perform for a living. Yeah. But I just want to be by myself. Like, no, I like to be at home. Yeah. yeah. Me too. I want to watch Friday Night Lights. Yeah. Or just sit in the dark. Sit in the, I yeah. love sitting in the dark. <laughs> hey, lovely to meet you. Nice to meet you You too. made a really lovely record. Debbie Friday's music doesn't sound like anything else. It doesn't sound like anything else. That's Debbie Friday and What a Man. Before that, my conversation with the Canadian musician Debbie Friday. Her album, Good Luck, is shortlisted for the Polaris Music Prize, which will be announced on September 19th at the Polaris Gala. I think she got a pretty good pretty good shot at it. All right, that is it for the show today. The other episode we put up today... You know, I I I, I mainly listen to like a lot of country music, and uh, as my friends tell me, music that's made by you know, orphans gathered around a barrel. But uh, even I, who's not like super into punk and hardcore, have been captivated by the story of the Armed. Do you know about this band? Like, they made some of the most talked about like hardcore and punk records of the last ten years. But 
No one knew who they were. Like, they would lie about who they were. There were, like, reports that they were a cult, and they were bodybuilders, and they kind of are bodybuilders. Anyway, they finally decided to come clean on their new record. So one of the members of The Armed, I think in his first ever, like, video interview, the first time anyone's ever seen this guy as the lead singer of the band, Tony Wolski, uh, he came on to talk a little bit about why they decided to come clean now, why they decided to lie in the first place, and I'm like 99% sure this is the real guy. Go, go check that out wherever you got this podcast. We'll see you soon. Later on. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.